When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Jake Adams, everybody. What's going on, Scott? Hey, hey Jake, good, to, good talking to you. So everybody, welcome to a very special edition of The Tin. Um, people have asked me about my so-called reefing pedigree and my experience in the hobby, and they say, who do you talk to? And what, who are your reefing people that you look up to? Who are your aquarium people you look up to? And uh, it's this guy right here, Jake Adams, senior editor of Reef Builders, the premier reef keeping blog in the world probably one of the most knowledgeable all-around aquarist I know, a philosopher, student, uh, a, a disciple of the natural world. Uh, Jake, uh, thanks for being on today. No, it's my pleasure. It. We've been uh, trying to make this happen for a few months. So. Yeah, long time. And uh, Jake, if, if you don't follow him on uh, Reef Builders, you should. Uh, and his podcast, Reef Therapy, which is like, how's that going, man? That's like the go-to absolute podcast i listen to are, are you enjoying that as much as the audience is you know the one thing that, that i can say in general about all of the things that we do is we, we you know we monetize it after the fact right so we do it for the experience so the reef therapy is probably more therapy for me than most other <laughs> folks yeah. And so it's doing great. I don't look at any numbers that you know we don't have comments and stuff like on on youtube but we, we put it out into the universe and it's, you know, it's no different than the conversations that Mark and I have been having for like 20 years. Yeah. And that's what's so pure about it. And that's the beauty. That's, that's kind of what I like about, I mean, we've talked about it with my podcast, same thing. It's like, I just talk about things that are on my mind. And when it's pure like that, it is therapeutic in a certain way. And there's so much, I mean, someone like you, that's been in the hobby for so long, you have so much that is good to talk about. And it, it helps you. It helps other people. And I'll bet you, have you started listening to your recordings or do you not even listen to them? You know, sometimes, I don't, I don't know. That sounds kind of weird. It's not even about my right. voice or about me. It's like, I kind of know what I said. And, and sometimes I do, but I, I want to be stimulated by a wide range of ideas. That's why yeah. I will listen to plant podcasts, just plants mm -hmm. or freshwater aquarium podcasts and other mm -hmm. reef podcasts. Just, you just never know where your ideas are going to come from. So true. So true. And, and it, it's funny because I think one of the things we're going to talk about today is the kind of that crossover. I know you had mentioned that's something you want to talk about, that crossover potential. You were a freshwater guy. Did, now, I forgot your history exactly. Did you, your first tanks were fresh, right? And then you went quickly into uh, yeah. salt or was it? Okay. Yeah. So pretty typical story. I know, but I didn't uh, stop doing fresh. I did fresh right. and salt. And I was actually, I would say primarily a freshwater aquarist. And I happen to have a, a couple saltwater tanks and then a reef tank. But, you know, I went and I branched out in every direction at the same time. Well, the, yeah. And, and that's true. And that's, what's really interesting about Jake is literally you were the first guy, I think I've told you this before, you're the first guy I know that brought up plants like Ariel Collins and Pogostoma, you know, plants that are now sort of Bucephalandra. Bucephalandra. You were talking about Bucephalandra before anybody knew what it was. And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> and you were, you were not only, not only did you have a working knowledge of them, you were like really into them. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I think that's what's cool about someone like you that's a, an eternal student 
Um, your your major was it was a biology or fishery science or what, um, what was marine the... science? So that marine includes science. biology, chemistry, oceanography, ecology, genetics. It's a you know well rounded broad. And and what's cool is you actually are using it every single day. Um, yeah, to are, some degree. And that's that's amazing. Um, now the thing that I think is also kind of funny is like here you're here you are known to be a an absolute reef person, reef authority. And you will show up with Julian Sprung at the uh, Aquatic Gardeners Association show. You will show, you know, you'll, you, you are still into every aspect of the hobby. And it's not like there's an either or. It's not a binary thing. No, not at all. And I think so many hobbyists seem to make it binary. Like, I can't do reef because I'm freshwater. I can't do freshwater because I'm a reef. In it. But, but we're seeing more and more people are just doing it, which is cool. They're doing a little of everything. Yep. Um, those skills are real, you know, they, they cross over. Um, what I was going to ask you is philosophically, do you manage a reef aquarium any different than you manage a freshwater aquarium? Do you, I know technique is obviously different, but do you have like an approach that you take that's different? Um, let, let me think about that while I answer part of the question. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say, you know, the first thing to managing any biological system is observation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still have to yeah. look at the fish. You still have to look at the plants. I mean, even subconsciously, you'll know if that water is crystal clear or if it's got a little, you know, scum to it, right? right. So that's the first step. And, and, and same thing with, like, terrestrial plants. If you observe them every day, you'll notice if they're, they have a little bit of mites or uh, thrips or if they need a little bit more water. So right. the first part to managing anything is not testing water and chasing numbers. It's observing what you got. So that's, that's the first step. Right. Right. And I think that's an important thing you just brought up. Um, we're jump, we're going to jump around, obviously, but, but you brought up the bit about not going crazy testing. And, and I know that that's been a big thing in the reef hobby for years. That was just an obsession of a lot of people. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Freshwater, not so much, but I think you're starting. I don't know. Maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm seeing more people getting obsessed with testing. Hmm. Some, I, I've started you, to notice this. When I you start out questions. in the hobby, you, know, you, you, you take in a lot of instruction from even before the bulletin boards from different types of books and different people at the fish store. And there was this idea that, you know, you need to keep your softwater fish at six to 6.5 community fish at seven, uh, you know, more common and hard water fish at 7.5 to eight. And over a really long timeline, you've seen every kind of example of people keeping discus at, you know, pH 8.4 and African cichlids at pH of six, even though it might still be hard water. And right. I, I think one of the first things that I, I first commandments that I put in stone in my mind was that fish don't read books. <laughs> right. They don't know what they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Well, it, it, it's funny because one of the things that you told you, you mentioned in, in reef therapy, which again, you guys have got to listen to this. Um, you talked about, and it freaked my mind out. You're like, why do we spend all of our money on an RODI unit to take everything out of the water only to mix up our salt and have to put everything back in. You know, it's like, it it fundamentally like freaked me out a little bit. I'm like, wow. Everything that I have done and that I have a contrarian viewpoint of Mm -hmm. is a road that I have gone down to the most extreme logical conclusion. Right. So I used to love ROs. I used to make such tricky ROs with (laughs) automatic back flush valves and, seven stages with doable membranes and di and right and then just over time you know i started pulling a couple things off and pulling a couple things off and 
I got to the point where I was using an RO unit, but collecting both the, the filtered water and the, the bypass water. <laughs> I was using the bypass water for my saltwater tanks, especially the, the, the I started with the, you know, the fish tank because you know, right. they don't, they don't really care. Right. And then over time, I'm like, well, why do I, why am I doing all of this? Does it matter? Uh, if, if there was a super tangible benefit, obviously I would, I would go down that road. And for sure, there are some localities where you need to be mindful what's in your, your feed water bef- right. before you just you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Um, but yeah, I just or, got to the point where, I, 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 at least in my area, and probably a lot of areas, like using just very good quality carbon blocks in succession is going to get you 98% of the way there. And, and that's such a good point in terms of removing stuff. Um, the one thing, like our crowd, obviously, a lot of the people are into soft acidic water. And the, obviously, the if you're plants starting out with would hard be water, a, a great example where mm-hmm. even if some plants can grow in hard water or higher pH, if you dig into the biology, all plants will do better in softer water. Yes. That's just, yeah. that's just, just, you know, just the fact. So when I had my Tonino style aquarium, that was like practically <laughs> just pure water. I think I had a DKH of, you know, usually around half, half one, <laughs> one degree. <laughs> yeah, it's almost corrosive at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually, I yeah. would, I, you know, I couldn't keep snails in that tank. It was so right. soft. You put some snails in and just over a short period of time, their shells would dissolve. <laughs> I was also adding a ton of CO2 and just, right. Um, right. But I guess to you know to get back to your point, obviously you can do a reef tank natural style with minimal technology and just let biology do the balance. You can do the same thing with um, a, a natural approach to uh, a planted aquarium. Um, but when it comes to managing something, if there's like nutrients to be dosed for the plants or minerals mm-hmm. to be dosed for the corals, I'm going to use a dosing pump. You know. Yeah. That, that's a fundamental shift. That's interesting that you mentioned the dosing pump thing because, and it's only been, you know, my, my re-entry back to the reef side is, is about to happen. And you absolutely profoundly influenced me about that dosing versus, you know, calcium reactors. I mean, they all have their place, but, but I realized like, wow, what a, what a, what a great way to add things to your water. What a mm-hmm. smart way to do it. It's, it, I think that's a fundamental shift where I'm starting to see, at least from the outside, having been absent from every single day of my life in the reef world for a few years, I'm seeing that swing over to dosing, taking on more of a, an importance instead of just trace elements, it's dosing, you know, two part alkalinity and calcium solutions and things mm-hmm. like that. That's really cool. Do you see that as a sort of a fundamental shift that's happening in the hobby right now? Again, it, it really depends on what you want to achieve. There's mm-hmm. certain plants and certain corals that are going to look 80 to 90% of their prime under a super wide range of conditions, you know, right. and in some cases, if someone's a little bit more casual about having either a planet tank or a reef tank, maybe you don't want to grow things as fast as possible. Maybe you want a tank that right. puts along, you know, a perfect example is I have a small, like two gallon beta tank with one small fancy beta in there. I got some, mm-hmm. you know, Anubius, uh, non petite in there with a very small led light. That's a tank. Like I don't want to groom those Anubius any more, any frequently than like every two years. <laughs> right. You know, right. so why would I put a, a stronger light or, or doser or, or even give it anything besides exactly. just raw water? And in other cases, if you're, you know, 
you want to do have a championship style tank or you want to see your, your your plants really blossom that's when you have to work a little bit more but i'll tell you what man the nana petite in my little beta tank is 80 percent as luscious as you know it would be in a planted tank <laughs> yeah it, there's a lot to be said for just letting it do its thing and, and i think that's an that's an interesting thing too um you are one of the few people I know that has a sort of a finesse style of keeping aquariums, like especially in reefs where you will just sort of manually dose, like you'll know to do- dose acro power or trace elements or whatever. And I think you're the same in freshwater too, right? You're not really one of these, like I need to follow an exact estimate of index kind of that kind of stuff. I mean, you're more of a look at the plant, study what's going on and dose. Am I, am I correct on that? One of the things I, I've, I've, I told people when I worked at aquarium stores for a long time, again, freshwater, saltwater device is dosing. Some is infinitely more than dosing none. Right. Right. So if you're adding, I don't know, 10 mLs of iron to your 50 gallon planet tank once a month, that's infinitely more than never adding any. It's just <laughs> right. so much more benefit. It's like if you have somebody's, um, Dying of thirst in the desert. That <laughs> first glass of water is going to so save more. their life. The yeah. second glass of water is going to make them feel just a little bit better. Right, right. Such a good analogy. Great analogy. Now, do you see the way the hobby in general is going? Do you see that hobbyists are more hands-on, more interactive with the tank? Do you, do you like that trend of people being more, um, God, what is the word I'm looking for? more I guess more hands-on more proactive more dosing of things or is it more of a you like to just observe and adjust as needed um what do you think in there you know again if you set up a reef tank you could do it for any number of reasons mm-hmm. you might want to have just pretty fish and a small backdrop of corals or you right. could want pretty corals and uh, you know just a couple fish to fill in the water um, maybe you want to grow a ton of frags and that's a, kind of a different setup and so I, I, I feel like there's not enough discussion about the enjoyment of the aquarium. Agreed. This it's is about the management. Yeah, it's just how do you yeah. do it? How do you do it? Yeah. You know, once yeah. you've got your car all tuned up, you want to drive it. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you just want right, to drive the car. Right. You, don't spend, you don't want your car right. to always be in the shop, right? And right. I, you know, I, know, I know reefers who will tell me that, yeah, they have a reef tank as a reason to have all the toys, to have their control room and have all the bells and whistles. And the outcome is secondary, tertiary. It's just there to give them some reason to to tinker. You know, the hobby is playing with this stuff. Yeah. I I don't think that there's I don't think there's any threads on, on, on 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 Facebook groups, on dedicated forums, or hell, even in magazines about the enjoyment. <laughs> like, what Absolutely. are you doing this for? <laughs> well, that's, that's a good, that's a great point. And, and one of the things, I mean, one of the things that we do here in the, the botanical type of aquarium is it's embracing all that happens naturally, which is don't interfere. Don't be siphoning out every bit of detritus. Don't be, you know, detritus, we could have a whole conversation about detritus to me is one of the most valuable things we have, but siphoning out detritus, getting rid of biofilms, we're embracing that. And people, it is so hard to almost deprogram people because we're so accustomed to what the books say or what the hobby has said for a hundred years of you have to change water regularly, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to monitor. And and you're right, there's so little, just just look at the tank, enjoy what's happening and watch it evolve. And I don't think you see enough of that these days. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not even on the radar. It's more about uh, achievements. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> how to true. unlock the, you know achievements and it's a gamification, um, which again is that in itself is not so bad if you're no. trying to achieve better growth or spawning behavior or better colors or unique leaf shapes. Um, you know, definitely my favorite plant and my favorite plant name of all time is Laduisia inclinata varvaticillata ah. pantanal. Beautiful <laughs> name for a very yeah. beautiful plant. Now you can yeah. grow this thing in a ten-gallon tank with just random light. And it'll grow, but do it with a little bit of effort, you're going to start to see a lot more leaf density. And then, you know, the stem's going to get a lot thicker and you're going to have just a much more luscious plant. And then you can take it, you know, with, with a lot of CO2 and automatic dosing and make sure you have that right balance of traces and soft water. And then you get this crazy, beautiful, you know, crown of, you know, fine leaves that are beautiful starburst colored from the center to the edge. You know, so the, the plant will grow in just about anything. <laughs> But to get it to look just jaw-dropping um, takes a, you know, a lot more effort on the other end of the spectrum. And, and I think that's analogous to coral or to yep. fish for that yep. matter. If you can do the minimum and have them thrive. You can have discus you know, spawn in 8.2 pH water. You can. Or you can go all the way to black water at 4.9 pH and zero alkaline. You'll see where that gets you. That, that's the beauty of it. There's no right or wrong. There's a, you hit a fundamental thing on the head there. It's about what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And I think that's a real important question that we don't always ask ourselves when we set up an aquarium or when we get into the hobby. When you start any hobby. Yeah. What do you so want to true. do? <laughs> so true. So true. And, you know, you, you have um, we've talked about this before and we can get into it a little later. Your focus. And again, this is this is played with my mind a lot when getting back into the reef hobby again. My first question to myself was, what do I want? Do I want a, a reef tank? Meaning I want to try to replicate an entire reef environment or do i want a coral tank what is it that attracts me to reef keeping and i realized it's the coral it's and you're fundamentally telling yourself i don't want to keep pet sand beds i'm going to keep coral yeah and everything you're doing is just focused to create the optimum conditions for coral and i think it is the same thing with with fish or freshwater or whatever if you focus on what is the optimum thing that these animals need to thrive i think that's a really fundamental approach that is again not talked about a lot like what do you want to do well you have this aspect of diminishing returns uh Mm -hmm. you know if you enjoy driving and you you know you're going 60 70 miles around uh you know a curvy road you're gonna have a good time and maybe you get more thrill out of going 100 miles per hour but you introduce the risk of crash a lot you know, uh, severe yes. crashes. And so like same thing with the, 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 the plants and the same thing with the corals. I've probably lost a hobby. The more you push it, the more you chase those diminishing returns, the more likely you are to get in trouble. And I feel yeah. like um, I, I can't, I'm not as tuned into what the freshwater people are, are talking about and, right. and, and saying, but definitely in the reef hobby, there's this mentality of just, you have to hit these numbers. You have to do this. You have to do yes. that. And only then are you going to have some awesome sauce. Yeah, I think I don't know how. How do you think that came about? Is it because people started talking about that? What what, what led to that? I mean, um, I think there's some, you know, cart before the horse going on. Um, yeah. with the manufacturers, you know, they'll 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 say things that aren't untrue. Right. <laughs> as far as right. you know, some of the things you want to aim for, um, as far as success for a reef tank, but. I think the freshwater hobby, because it was much older, it was much more human. It was, yes. even the fish stores back then would have been more human. You know, you look at, yeah. uh, so I, I read, I, 
voracious consumer of all aquarium literature, freshwater, saltwater, right. new, old books, magazine, everything. And um, I, I, with a hundred years of maturity and, and doing this as a community thing in your basement and with your friends, um, those values developed in the freshwater side right. uh, much sooner before the you know, commercialization of the, the retail store and the online shops and all the fancy gears and bells and whistles. Right. And with the, the, the reef aquarium hobby, I think it's it really started blossoming at the same time that uh, a lot of the business, the industry side of the, of it, uh, you know, came about at the same time. So I feel like the, the overall messaging of reef uh, aquariums um, kind of just grew together with both the hobby side and industry side and just not enough soul. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, you say the modern reef hobby essentially started in 1986 or 1987 when the wet dry filter came into being. But in in that 30, 40 year span, the the equipment seems to advance, have advanced, right, either simultaneously or even more so than the technique. Because you go on a hobby forum, and I know you don't go on too many forums, you don't want to just see the BS, but... I, I like to peruse them too. And I just see the questions people are asking and they're fundamental things that they didn't learn, like about pH or alkalinity or, you know, just common sense, aquarium keeping 101. People have every gadget known to man, but they seem to have not learned the basics. And you that's know, strange. Whereas in the freshwater world, there's a little more of the basics, I think. I would that counter mm-hmm. that most hobbyists, freshwater, saltwater, you know, uh, planted fish, whatever, they know. They actually do know the stuff. Mm-hmm. They do know the basics, but they don't understand them. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> right? They don't right. know what to right. say to not right. sound dumb at the local club meeting right. or you know, to, to talk the talk online. But they yeah. might not really understand the, the depths of what they're saying. Good, good, good point. Absolutely. Spot on. Now, do you see – and we talk about crossover – I see it less and less, but I, I, there's still this myth in the freshwater world, only because I'm involved in that every day I see this. People still are convinced that it, that the reef keeping is this hard, mystical, difficult to do thing. And I see less and less in the reef world of people saying, you know, I'm just going to keep a freshwater tank because I love it. <laughs> there's a disconnect there. Um, it's almost a one-way street. Like reefers go back into freshwater and have fun with it. And do I'll cool go stuff. back to my earlier statement. The, the freshwater yeah. side has generations of culture Correct. baked in. In yes. the saltwater side now, the retail store has every incentive to tell you to do things the cookie-cutter way because right. you're going to get a bunch of cleanup crew and you're going to feed a lot of food and then you're going to have some algae and then you're going to need a media reactor and then you're going to need a bigger skimmer and then your pearls grow a little bit more. So you're going to need to up your mineral management side of things. And that conversation is just driven a little bit too much by the uh, commercial side of it. Yeah. And so had we had the saltwater hobby around for a lot longer, the, 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 the gentler side, the natural, the holistic side would have had more time to become a greater part of the solar side of the aquarium hobby. And yeah. yeah, there's not really nearly as many discussions going on about how to keep it. Just a simple, basic saltwater tank. I mean, there's some corals yeah. out there that are indestructible. Same with the fish. You know, there's the one difference really is mixing the saltwater. Right, right. That's true. It's finding out what the animals need and giving it to them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, in your freshwater world, in your freshwater world of technique and so forth, what is your what is your thought on? You know, they have the so they call. We've joked about this before. A, a high tech planet tank is a planet that has a pH controller, or you know, to, to dose CO two. But high tech that that term high tech is kind of ridiculous. But why is it? Uh, do you see that some of the technology, it took a lot longer for LED to catch on in the freshwater world than it did in the reef world. Which is funny because the, the, the lighting needs of plants is like a fraction of what most corals right. want. Right, right. Why do you think that was? Do you think that was just a, a, a hesitancy on the part of, we've done it this way for so long, we don't want to do it? Or is it it's just the manufacturers weren't seeing the value in it? What, what, what do you think that was? Mm. that drives me crazy trying you, to figure out why you know that one is probably just all the reasons possible all the reasons you know yeah. the leds early on were, were expensive and freshwater's the broader general you know freshwater hobby i'm not denigrating anybody's efforts no the broader no. aquarium hobby of, of people who are not even hobbyists that just have a fish tank um you know they want to stretch their dollar and they just they just see the price of one saltwater fish and like yeah i'm not going over there <laughs> right and, right you know, for a long time just the fluorescence we're good enough or compact yeah. fluorescence. We're good Vital lights and stuff. Yeah. Um, but one thing I am urging people to do is like, even if you have a freshwater tank, get really nice lights yeah. because then you're going to see all the colors of the fish that you've worked so hard to take care of. I, I, I remember the first time you went over and saw one of my blackwater tanks years ago. First thing you did was it was an led and you, you said, dude, but you have it all the settings were all wrong. <laughs> you weren't optimized to take advantage of it. And you, you started playing with the light. I think you're right. I think light is one of those things that we just haven't even thought about in terms of what it does, how it can optimize the appearance, the growth, even in a, a fish only display. Even in, a fish only freshwater. saltwater. Yeah. People are not putting great lights over their saltwater tanks. You know, I was at Aquashella, I don't know, it was a bit a month now. Um, mm-hmm. And there was this like, I don't know, massive six or hundred or thousand gallon tank that had at least $10,000 worth of life stock, you know, a platinum mm-hmm. marijuana, platinum red tail catfish, uh, platinum gar, platinum, or you know, white stingray. So like five or six Crazy super white stuff. fish. This tank was like eight feet long. It had the most monochromatic, cheap, <laughs> like shop LED light on the back of it. I'm like, oh my God, it would take <laughs> just a little bit of effort to make that tank just knock your socks off from across right. the exhibit hall. Yeah, exactly. And, and people don't think about that. And Actually, you know what? That... When you go to China, you do, you do see that. They have special lights for their red arowanas, obviously with a lot of red. And it makes the arowanas just glow, oh, just yeah. like a crazy. Because here's the part where, you know, I'm kind of doing my job. A red LED is not the same as the next red LED, even right. from the same manufacturer. Um, you know, there's different colors. Some of them have a very short uh, emission peak. and Some of them will have a broader emission peaks. Some of them are going to peak at 630, which is kind of like a bright orangey red. But the mm-hmm. one that we really want for color and for photosynthesis is a deep red that's at 660 nanometers. And that'll make redfish, freshwater or saltwater, it'll make them glow in an almost just supernatural way. Huh. And, and, we, and we, yet we, could you imagine cardinal tetras under that? That would be... Yeah. Pop. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the entire hobby, but there's... There's a, if you know, do a quick search on, on Amazon, you'll find, mm-hmm. you know, lights for goldfish and lights for arowanas that are, you know, of Chinese origin, because over there they might keep tanks just with those fish, but man, oh my Lord, it brings the color out almost too much. You know, they kind of overdo it a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. 
what now what about flow now jake for those of you that don't know jake i mean you talked about the concept of gyre flow what 10 years ago 12 years ago in 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 the reef world and you can look that up on google what gyre is you'll probably find jake's articles on it but it's a concept of moving gross water movement and Jake, you were, the, the statement, you know, flow is almost more important than light. It's always been attributed to you. No, that's not and, what I said. Or wasn't it something uh, to that flow effect? Flow is more important than water. Flow is not. <laughs> there you go. So Jake is about flow. Has, have you seen uh, applied intelligent flow being done well in, in freshwater yet? Or is that something you think that more you know, it's kind experiment of with? funny because I, so we have to, you know, roll back the clock and kind of reset people's expectations and, and, and the, the, the scene, you know, what mm-hmm. was the setup back then? We just had small little power heads, yep. uh, you know, maybe the output from canister filter or a power filter. And we didn't have any kind of flow pumps, you know, basically with a propeller on them to really push a, a significant amount of water instead of just squirting around. Right. And so at the time I was trying to figure out ways to make the pumps we had work better. Um, you either by modifying the nozzle or my, my favorite was getting them to work together. And, and I was taking marine science at the time. So, you know, I had all these oceanographic concepts in my mind and there's this mm-hmm. thing called the, you know, the, the gyres in the, in the ocean where currents are kind of spinning around in, in whirlpools basically of you know, hundreds of thousands of miles in diameter. Um, and so I started doing that in tanks, um, just having you know, power heads at opposite corners, basically, you know, turning, spinning the water. So all the water was moving. That was more important for uh, reef tanks. Um, right. But uh, I took that to its full on conclusion and I put a divider in the middle and had the pumps basically on the bottom, pushing a, a, the whole cross section of water underneath the divider plate. And if you just move that bottom layer, obviously with, you know, uh, inertia, all of the water on top will be moving even though there's no power heads pointed at it. And it's just really fun to see these gyre tanks now becoming river tanks, right? right. And so right. that is one aspect of fish behavior that is sorely missing if you yes. keep, you know, a lot of uh, rivering species, you know, mm-hmm. the, your, your rainbows will you know, be swimming really quickly, but they're not right. going anywhere. Um, right. You're, you're, um, some play, some placos, not all placos are, are highly rheophilic. You know, they love a lot of water flow, yep. and it's just it's just fun to see them struggle <laughs> against right, water flow right. in a tank that's just just totally ripping. And I think that's one of the things of, of placo keepers could could definitely improve. You see river tanks done as you know, short term concepts, but yeah. there's not nearly enough placo keepers who're like, yo, I'm gonna make this turn this tank into a right. river. And then you're, 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 you'll probably see a lot more natural behavior where the fish is, you know, working to, to get around, working to, to get to that next rock or to hold on to that branch. See, I, I love that discussion on gyre and, and movement because what that was is you saw what was going on in nature. You put together with how the animals utilize that in nature, what, how it benefits them. And you said, how could I apply this to aquarium keeping? And you just hit it on the head with the placos. I mean, there are probably benefits from environmental manipulations, proper environmental uh, manipulations that we're just not realizing as breeders. Maybe we're frustrated because we can't get this fish to spawn or we can't get the color or the health or whatever. And it's something as simple as, hey, give it more flow to swim against. Give it a longer photo period. Give it a different photo period. You know, those are really important things because you can correlate the art with the mechanics and the science and bring them all together. You know, one one. One thing that was always been like a trick 
for triggering uh, the spawning of freshwater fish is trying to simulate uh, a rainy season. Yep. Right. So that's really big important in corridors, catfish, yep. uh, just do a big water change, you know, fresher water, cooler water, um, softer water. And that's one stimulus that's just really easy to apply. Um, right. And I know, I know a lot of placos are that people have figured out ways to get them to breed. But on the behavioral side, mm-hmm. you know, why am I, why is my placo always hiding? It's like, well, maybe he just wants some flow to know he's in the, the same environment. And today with controllable pumps, um, you know, you can simulate a rainy season by turning up the flow on your, you know, gyre style rivering tank. Right. Right. Yeah, and literally, you know, six months on, six months off, and you're going to see the fish, uh, not, not even off. You just, you would turn it down because a lot of the controllable pumps are, are, a lot of the propeller pumps are controllable. Well, and, and that's, what's so interesting is, is that talk about crossover technology. I mean, some of the stuff was probably originally developed for freshwater. They evolved over in the reef side of the hobby, and now it can come back to the freshwater side and do something. Um, one piece of equipment that, that you've uh, done some work with lately, just maybe you can touch on it briefly. Uh, our friend Sumer Tiwari, you hooked him up with a, uh, a um, uh, filter roll. Yeah. And those are really amazing. Can you maybe give the briefest simple overview? Let's, let's overview talk about of... cross-pollination here for a Yeah, second. let's get into that. There's let's a device that. called an automatic filter roll, sometimes yeah. referred to as a fleece filter. And that was not developed for saltwater tanks. That was developed for giant ponds where money was no object. And, you know, the, the owners wanted the, the most crystal clear water. And these things would be the size of a washing machine. <laughs> and they got smaller and smaller and it took, you know, good. The first time I saw one was probably in 2010 and I mm-hmm. knew they'd been happening for a while, but, but those pond techniques, if I want to learn about them, I have to look at Europeans and mostly like, like Germans and Dutch. They're, they're not, yeah. you can't find uh, pond automatic filter rolls in America. It's very strange. There's all these interesting. Choices. So it went from ponds and then it got miniaturized. And because it's a little bit more expensive, um, the reef people, it still hasn't exploded. It still has not really taken off. It's still right. kind of a novelty. And, but those who can make it work for their system uh, just enjoy you know, automatic nutrient export, crystal clear water, very quiet uh, uh, drain down into your, your sump. You know, that is one of the few prerequisites you need to have sump. Um, but nowadays, man, an automatic filter roll is with a sump is going to be a lot cheaper than a really high tech canister filter with all the freaking media. Yep. And, and you, you just like a canister filter, you might clean it every three to six months, but instead of all that waste breaking down, it's being immediately exported. And so now something that started for ponds and is, you know, being taking some roots in the saltwater hobby is starting to carry over to some freshwater. And I'm just like still dumbfounded that Sumer's the only guy besides me that knows that I know that uses an automatic filter roll on a freshwater tank. Right. And he is just in love with that, by the way. Well, it's and not, it's like, not, wow. even a, this is not even a toy. This is a, right. a real tool. He went yeah. from, you know, so he's got a 200 gallon tank uh, filled with discus and he feeds his fish like, you know, like Oof. they're all right about to breed. Right. So he's always yeah. feeding him a ton of food. And so he went from, you know, having to clean out uh, different mechanical filters and sponges twice a week and spending, you know, a couple hours doing that with mediocre results because those sponges are only so clean. They're not the greatest. Right, right. And to now having automatic filter roll, that he's, I don't know how often he's changing it, but it's, 
you know, not really any water bypass, all the waste being exported. So he might still do water changes out of um, enjoyment <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, right, and some right. nutrient export, but I'm, I'm sure his nitrates are a lot lower than they were before. And he's got much, much clearer water. And it's a lot cheaper than a cancer filter. Do do you see those becoming sort of one of the go-to essential pieces of gear for both sides of the hobby in, say, five years down the line? Do you think they're going to catch on and be like, yeah, this is just fundamental equipment? Again, it's mass market appeal. I I hate to say that it depends. But if you have an all-in-one aquarium, fresh or salt, it's not really practical to put one on there. It might, maybe in the future, someone will figure out how to miniaturize it to get it in the back of the all-in-ones. That's a really popular category, you know, and up up to about 50 gallons. It's just, it's just so clutch. It's just so easy. But when you have an extreme, a more uh, extreme example, like Sumer's discus loaded 200 gallon tank, um, that's, that's a no brainer. That's a. That's just like. Why yeah. would you use anything else for a tank like that, or you know yeah. any of the monster fish keepers? They should. They should have been the ones importing these automatic filter rolls from right. Europe. They should right. have been the ones like you know adopting this technology and pushing it forward. Because on on, on large tanks where you're feeding pounds of food, <laughs> and it's a very exactly. simple concept. And I think the hardest part really is just sourcing the appropriate style of um, this fleece. Yeah, to to function on the roller. Yeah. Now, now, do you you know, staying with the crossover theme, do you see um, more and more? Do you see um, more freshwater people coming into the saltwater hobby? You're a little more in touch with that than I am. Have you have you seen that, or is it more like people start in fresh in saltwater and stay in saltwater? I, I, what kind of? Uh, I don't. You know. You know I don't. What we've seen uh, in evolution. It, there's everything, right? There's every case under the rainbows. I don't think there's any generalizations to be made. I think once upon a time, the aquarium hobby overall was still kind of niche and kind of unique, and it was kind right. of a certain person, and people didn't really understand how to do it easily or simply. And I think nowadays, if, you know, all kinds of people will just set up a freshwater tank, will just set up a planet tank, will just set up a, a saltwater tank. Right. And I, I don't think there's any. Um, uh, greater number of freshwater people getting into saltwater than first-time hobbyists getting into saltwater. Which, which is really interesting because you, you brought up that, that point at the very end there, is I think this is something that I saw arise over the, maybe in a bigger way, maybe over the last 10 years or 12 years or so, is people literally starting as a beginner in the aquarium hobby in the reef world. That was something that you, you didn't see in the, in the 80s and 90s. It was people crossing over from you know, freshwater into saltwater. But to see people actually starting out with a full-blown reef tank as their first tank, that's really interesting to me. That, that's something – I don't know if you've noticed that over the years, but that's something that's a newer artifact of the hobby. Yeah. I mean, again, once upon a time, you had to be really committed to learn a lot about how to – you know, where to start. And right. I think now there's just a ton more people who know. There's a lot more people who keep all these different tanks who can say, you can do it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. You will have no problems. <laughs> just, yeah. know, just keep it simple and you'll have a good time. Yeah. Now, if, if you were starting in the hobby, in the aquarium hobby today, just as a beginner, what would you, what would you start with? I mean, not knowing, I mean, knowing your natural love of fish in general, would you start with a reef tank? Would you start with a reef tank and a freshwater tank? Would you start with saltwater fish? Would you do, what would you do? Do you think? I mean, to be honest, to if, here, here's, here's one big influence is I started in saltwater at a time when all aquarium stores were freshwater. 
And yeah, there was may, no reef store. And maybe yeah. they had one saltwater tank, not even a saltwater yeah. section. Maybe they had one saltwater tank. And that tank had fish and corals and inverts and everything in there and various right. stages of health or not. And right. now most stores, I believe, are saltwater or saltwater yeah. only. I they, agree. They might be a saltwater store with a small freshwater section, yeah. right? So if you live in, a, in an area such as Orlando, where you just every aquarium store you go to is just a tons of super flashy corals and reefs, yeah. you're gonna, more likely going to do that because it's much harder to find the uh, inspirational freshwater uh, stores. You know, so yeah. it's hard to answer that question. But if I was starting scratch, I, I would be heavily influenced by the, 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 the makeup of stores in my area. Yeah, that's a good. And, and you know, that's another good point, too, is, is the, the local fish store is still a profound influence for a lot of hobbyists. And I think that's important, too. For, I mean, for, for better about, or for worse. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For better or for worse. But it's, it's the proverbial watering hole of the aquarium hobby. It's where you meet other people. You get to see stuff face to face. I mean, I think that the local fish store, in a way that none of us online businesses can do, has done more to launch people into the hobby. And maybe mm. you could argue that it has done less to keep people in the hobby, but it's certainly done a lot to get people into the hobby. And I think that's interesting. Well, you um, know, I, I feel for the fish store uh, nation, <laughs> the aquarium yeah. store nation, because yeah. uh, the internet kind of really took off while I was in uh, working retail stores. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that burnt me out is people coming in and arguing with me. Yeah. Like almost yeah. wanting to pick an argument because they read a contrarian viewpoint on such and such right. forum. And it's got to be harder than ever. I mean, it's got to be just just so uh, frustrating to try to tell somebody, you know, what they should be doing. And everybody wants to be a, a newbie expert, right? They spent two right. days reading everything that came up in Google <laughs> headline searches or whatever. Yeah. And they have, they think they really, really know what they're talking about. And I, I, man, there's got to be so many uh, retail store employees who have to spend so much of their energy trying to talk somebody out of some, some less than stellar ideas. It's not that they're right. necessarily wrong, but somebody had a, an extreme example and now right. he's trying to evangelize people to this side, you know, well, it was, it was, whatever it is. Like, here's a great yeah. example, man. There's people in saltwater who want to brag about not doing water changes. Uh, like, why would you, me. why, why? Why is that something to brag about? What's the point? Right. You know, right. I don't do water changes to, uh, because my nutrients and minerals and stuff are out of whack. Um, I do it because it's, that's a part of the, of the tank. Like when I do water change, clean my filters, scrub the glass, and I see that crystal clear look after about an hour of, you know, refilling the tank, I get a right. deep sense of satisfaction and enjoyment right. knowing I did that. Right. And you're interacting with the tank. Yeah. You're, 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 you're observing it's, it more. It's, than it's a hobby. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I don't understand where that came from. It's like there's a whole cottage industry in the aquarium hobby in general of ways to avoid doing water changes. Why that's become a thing. I have no idea. I don't know if it's laziness of people or human instinct. Or I don't whatever. know. Maybe a market oh, pride. So, you know, we all That's know that whether you keep turtles or fish or plants or corals, you know, a water change with good water that, you know, that's appropriate for your system. That's going to always do make your tank look better. It's always, you know, you can siphon out a little detritus, siphon out a little algae, give the, the fish a proverbial breath of fresh air. And right. there's something intangible that you can't really point to that you can't fix with all the mechanical filters, biological filters, chemical yep. medias, 
Um, just, and so I can imagine, you know, again, working in a retail store and somebody coming in, well, you know, Billy Bob or somebody said, <laughs> I don't have to do water changes ever. Right, right. And you're sitting there in a retail store just like, where do I even start with this? Right, right. Because there's, yeah, exactly. The angle of attack is so different. You know, you talk about contrarian ideas. You, as a progressive hobbyist, have come up with some con- what's in, in the mainstream of the hobby could be seen as contrarian opinions on things. Um, and we'll get into one of those in a little bit. But how, how do you, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. How does a contrarian item, a contrarian idea catch on in the hobby and actually become, you know, that works? Is it because you do it? You have it a body takes of work a to show? long time. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and it's, almost all ideas are they're only original because you came up with it first. But right. there is like 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 technology, like cell phone. You can look back at the progress of, of wireless communications and computers and just in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, that's inevitable. It's inevitable yeah. that we're going to have these wireless communication devices in our pockets. And eventually there's just going to be, it's going to be such a tiny chip. It might just be a tiny earring, like the whole phone. Right. right. And so right. some of these ideas, um, sometimes they're ahead of their time and, and it takes a long time for them to, to catch on. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's been any major changes, you know, because there's, um, you know, there's a lot of strong opinions, which is cool. It's, it's nice right. to, to, to defend your ideas or or beliefs or your approach and and feel stronger about it because you've talked it out and debated the other side well and i think that is important but just to bring it to a very specific topic in in recent months you've you've talked about this on reef therapy and it it hit talk about something that hit me like a ton of bricks when i was with unique corals we would get corals in and we'd spend hours and hours you know unpacking and acclimating them to our water the hobby does that in general. You get frags, you acclimate them. And you said, you know, I have yet to find one valid scientific reason why we need to acclimate corals. Well, just, I a lot of these, that. a lot of these ideas, man, That's you can amazing. just, you can come across or stumble upon with thought experiments. Yeah. Just, just thinking, just this is how Einstein came up with general and special relativity. Right. He didn't the go out into space thing. and travel at the, you know, the speed of light. He didn't get on right. a train and shine a light. He closed right. his eyes or just let his mind, you know, the gears turn. So when you think about a coral, it's like, hey, what's, a, what's, a, what's, what's the acclimation procedure for collecting the coral off the reef? <laughs> what's the acclimation exactly. procedure for putting that coral in whatever holding vessel on the boat where it's going to go? A lot of times it might be out of water for hours, right. just kept wet, you know, with newspaper or seagrass or something, right? And do you, do you think that the, the collector is, is acclimating that coral from the boat holding system <laughs> to whatever, you know, exporter water that it's going to be in? Like, no. Hell no. No way. <laughs> exactly. You know, and when you think about that, and, and, and you can also think about the biology of corals, right? You know, we right. want to acclimate certain fish because you don't want them to get shocked by pH because they breathe actively. They have gills that, you know, actively um, interact with the water that they're in. But corals are passive creatures, right? That right. Everything about them is based on diffusion. So whatever you're doing for acclimation, the coral is a self-acclimating machine. Right, right. You know, and I'm not saying don't acclimate everything, but I'm not yeah. acclimate. <laughs> Here's one of the ironies of, of like saltwater keeping. We are all striving to keep things at seawater. One of the first things you learn in marine science is that seawater is, is like the most homogenized substance all over the world. It changes. Right. Every, all the elements there are, are there in equal concentrations. 
and the proportions are the same and it just changes by, you know, up to maybe up to 5%, depending on if it's more saline or less saline, but that's right. reflecting everything that's in the water. So in a saltwater tank, you're, you're trying to basically hit a bullseye for most of your tanks. But, <laughs> but so why are you going to acclimate that coral from one bullseye to another bullseye? <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. but you know, that being said, uh, some things are more delicate there because they're actively breeding sure. uh, giant clams shrimp of course uh fish um you know they don't want any shots anything anything except for corals if you if you've received them through the mail they're going to be an enclosed system where they build up the right. co2 the ph is going to drop it's going to affect right. the toxicity of ammonia so yeah sure but i don't i don't i don't even blind when i do acclimate i'm not doing it blindly right i have a very good temperature probe i have a very good ph probe and i'll mm -hmm. measure both the water of the, the that the, the animal came in and then where it's going yeah yeah, I've seen the way you acclimate fish. It's it's impressive. Yeah, some, sometimes it takes ten minutes. Sometimes cool. you want to take an hour. Yeah. And, and if you're a wholesaler bringing in stuff from the other side of the world where they've had a very long transit, um, instead of acclimating the fish to the water, they will change. They will add CO two to drop the pH of the system water. Right. So they can throw all the fish in and then just acclimate the entire system all at once. So you get the fish out of that low pH, high ammonia water. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do you, um, you know, this is another thing I want to talk about real quickly, starting an aquarium. And, I, and I, the reason I'm asking you so many reef questions is a lot of our listeners, really, they were excited that you're going to come on and they really had a few, bunch of reef questions. Um, a lot of these people are talking about when you start up a reef tank, um, why do you have to cycle and wait? And I know you've brought this up uh, in, in reef therapy and we've had discussions on this. Can you quickly touch on that nuance about starting a tank, you could add corals from day one. Um, I, I agree 100% with you on that one. So once, you know, this is like few of your previous questions converging on this one, yeah. as far as having contrarian ideas, is when you study any topic uh, for long enough and, and deep enough, you, you want to get drilled down to every mechanism, every moving part to really understand what's going on, right? So in freshwater, mm -hmm. um, obviously the fish produce ammonia, and ammonia hurts the fish, right? That's a simple answer. But right. the, the, the real answer is that the ammonia interferes with the hemoglobin's ability to take up oxygen, which, right. and, and it also burns the gills, but it's mostly just the not being able to extract oxygen from the water because right. of, they use hemoglobin to breathe. But corals... Corals don't have blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You hear that, people? Corals they don't do have, blood. have blood. So yeah. now what? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You know, now exactly. What? But what corals do have is a symbiotic community of bacteria living inside of them, all over them, and on the base that they're on, right? So if you take five average healthy corals and put them into a 10 or 20-gallon tank, you can probably start dosing ammonia and watch it just get consumed and converted almost instantly. I mean, yeah. you know, within a day, right? So, you know, I get – I understand – the need for caution when you're spending so much money on, on saltwater fish and saltwater corals. Yeah. But it's also not great experience if you're setting up a reef tank and you have all your toys and you have all your rock and your sand and you've got everything the way you wanted, but you're waiting three, four, six months to finally get the animals that you, you know, you're most likely to enjoy. Right. Nobody, nobody wants to start you know, getting into motorcycles by just having a tire. <laughs> you don't want to look at a tire for exactly. four to six months, right? If you get it, if you if you want to get into computers, 
you don't want to buy a power supply and have to wait right. and, and a monitor and have to wait four months just to make it do anything. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. And I, I think it's about looking at things as they are instead of how we idealize them or imagine them to be mm-hmm. and realizing that the facts are the facts. You, you can't argue with some of these things. Uh, and the bit about a coral being a self-acclimating machine and indeed a little packet of biological diversity is really not only compelling, but I think that's a fundamental thing that I think if, if more people understood that concept that seems so contrarian at first, if more people understood that concept, I think more people would actually be happier, more successful, and more excited, even more excited about their reef aquariums. I think it would kill a lot of that mystique of, oh, this is really hard. You know, the classic way of setting up a reef tank is to add live rock to your tank. Right. What's more live than coral? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Coral with a little bit of rock. That is the livest rock you can get. Right. And then here's, you know, some other ways you can look at this is like corals have, uh, you know, net zero impact, most of them on the nitrogen load of the aquarium. Fish have a huge impact. You've got to feed them all the time and they're susceptible to it. So why would you cycle a tank, a saltwater tank with fish instead of corals? Right. You should really be adding the corals first, then the invertebrates and then the fish. Let this get, you know, you still there's still a lot of benefits to letting the system mature naturally just you don't have to even think about it 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 will do it on its own yeah and i i think that is a fundamental shift that again same thing with planet tank if you're setting a a display tank you're not going to add fish and then later on add gravel or or your substrate and then start adding plants you add the plants and then you you know it's it's a very similar concept and then you slowly add the fish that you want or need for maintenance of the aquarium exactly it, 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 and again, it, I think it all goes back to what are you trying to accomplish? What is it that you want? Um, that one fundamental question that directs some of your, your, your procedures. Now, the other thing I know we talk about in the freshwater world, you know, the, the community tank. Um, in the reef aquarium world, there's the, the, the mixed type of coral tank or whatever you want to call it. Um, but the other thing that, that, that plays along those lines is the bit about biological diversity. Now, again, there's, there seems to be this thought in the reef hobby, or it has been for years, that, oh, live rock and sand. And when you think about the point Jake just brought up about a coral being its own little ecosystem almost, your diversity is in the actual animals that you want to keep. That's a mind-bending fundamental shift, I mean, for a lot mm-hmm. of people, don't you think? I yeah. think, I, like, I realized my, my next reef tank that I'm starting, I, I, I don't even know if the term reef tank is applicable in a way, because... It's going to be so fundamentally different philosophically from anything I've done before because of that evolved thought. I think that's that's a really interesting thing. It's a really interesting time you, in the hobby. If you know when you go from freshwater to saltwater and you set up a classical reef tank, in, initially you are just dumbfounded by the variety of life that comes in. Yeah. Even if you don't add live rock, if you just add coral, you're going to get you know encrusters. You're going to get bristle worms and, and segmented worms. You're going to get feather dusters. And mysis shrimp and copepods and amphipods and, and, and little neutered brock and stomatellas and sponge and algae. Right. And so initially, that magic is really just hypnotizing. It's really, really, really cool. Once Absolutely. you've been reefing for a while, you don't stop and smell the roses. You don't do that anymore. Right. You're like, oh, right. hey, here, here's, there's a little colony of mysis. Cool. But you don't sit there and observe it. And, uh, you know, after a while, I mean, all the discussions are, are, are about the corals and about the fish. Right. And right. very select invertebrates, 
right? So yep. why spend all this work to try to boost the, the biodiversity in your tank when at the end of the day, you're just looking and talking about your corals anyway? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Now, how would you apply that same thinking to a freshwater tank? That, now, you have a tank with Ultima Angelfish right now. I think you were saying you were going to upgrade that tank larger. Yep. Yep. So, so how are you going to approach that tank when you start it? What are you going to do differently or, or are you going to do something differently than what you've done in the past with this Ultima tank? You've had those Ultimas for, what, three, four years now? Those, uh, those at, least, at least. At yeah, least I bought them as small wilds. And, you know, to my surprise, I bought four and I still have four. You know, a lot of times you just, buy a group of freshwater fish. There's always a little bit of attrition. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> over absolutely. time, and somehow it was just yeah, we still got the got the four. So this, they're currently in a you know fifty gallon cube, so about two by two by two, and I set it up as a, a unplanted aquarium with swords in the back and crypts in the middle, and then some smaller crypts in the in the front as a foreground. Not trying to win any awards, just trying to doll it up. Yeah. And, you know, I used to manicure it pretty well and try to keep track of the swords and keep them in check. And eventually, the, the, you know, what was interesting is the, the sword plants filled the tank so much that the entire tank was hiding places and it made the ultimate angelfish shy. Right. Oh, interesting. And interesting. I got I got tired of managing the sword plants. And so I just I chopped them down to the stump and they're still kind of growing back, but they're not thriving like jumbo plants that used to be. Right. But since I've reduced the number of hiding spots. You know, because the whole tank was just jungle and end-to-end jungle. Um, at first, you know, the Altums were a little skittish, and they'll still hide to the back. But now they're much more friendly. Now they're much more pets because they've gotten used to, okay, they have a little bit of shelter they can dive into if they're really scared. But they spend all their time out in the open. And now they know, all right, this is a very comfortable place for us. So it's a strange catch-22. It's a great observation, though. A lot of people will, will put a lot of decorations in a tank to make fish feel comfortable. But it's it's weird how that ends up making them more scared, right? That that is a, that is an excellent observation. I mean, I, I believe the same with, for example, shy fish like knife fish. I've always found that when I've kept them in tanks with tons and tons of wood, and stuff, you never see them. When you keep them with less options, they're going to come out more. Like, like you said, it, it it changes the behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's a very interesting phenomenon. So, what are you going to do in their upgraded tank? That what, what so are you, do you know. I think a lot of planted tanks probably don't have like the same lifespan as most reef tanks. You know, mm-hmm. they might be set up for a purpose and then tore down every year or two or three and just to kind right. of, you know, mix things up. But um, this tank has just had a succession of plants and I got Barclaya just sprouting everywhere and I've just kind of let it go. I don't, <laughs> I don't even groom any plants anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I kind of really want to go for a hardscape. Maybe mm-hmm. with some Anubius, but this, so right now it's just a planted tank with a canister filter and this next tank i really wanted to just showcase the fish so i want to get more discus because i have one discus in with my altum and i have two discus in another tank so i want it to be a peninsula style tank that's you know really deep maybe 30 inches 36 inches deep um because that negative space is just going to make the fish glow and shine even more yeah um so that will be set up with an automatic filter roll for sure because i have an auto filter roll on my 150 mixed freshwater tank with discus and angels, rainbows, some dwarf <laughs> cichlids and some placos. And that one has an automatic filter roll. And it's just so little maintenance. And That's it keeps awesome. the tank hyper clear all the time. So it will be um, definitely drilled um, on one end, as, like, like a peninsula. Mm-hmm. And in the Sampa, it will just be an automatic filter roll and a heater. What are you going to do for float? Are you just going to just the returns or are you going to do some augmented water movement? Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimates come from relatively still water, but what's your... You know, I haven't gotten that far, but I'm pretty sure I could get most of the flow I want and need. 
from the return pump through clover yeah. nozzles just blowing across the the top towards you know the opposite end of the tank and let that water come back down and wash along the bottom of the tank which will probably be bare bottom i don't know it might have a little bit of substrate um, but that will continuously watch any detritus into the filter um you know uh, discus and, and angelfish do like right. calmer areas of, of rivers and stuff so um i haven't gotten that far i haven't got that far yeah, but I don't, think it, I don't think it'll be super technical like that no, I, I, I'm really aiming for just a hardscape. Yeah. Just, you know, I might just, 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 just cheap out and get a few branches of Manzanita and just throw them in there and call it done. But yeah. one thing yeah. I am going to do for the lighting is I'm currently using a Kessel A360X Tuna Sun. Which, which is really popular in freshwater right now. Is Those it? Kessels are really catching on. Yeah, I hear a lot of people starting to They have a Kessel. lot of color rendition, just great color rendition. Um, but the 360 and the A500X... Um, they're compatible with different reflectors. And mm -hmm. since I won't be growing plants, I'll mount the light super high, use a very narrow angle reflector, which will give me a lot of glimmer lines. And then just a lot of drama, a lot of drama from yeah. the lighting where the light is really bright on the branches and the fish, or it's really dark because the, you know, the, the, the glimmer line is pushing light away from those things. And I think, uh, yeah, just two of them on a four foot long tank is going to be a really awesome presentation. Oh yeah. And I think, I think you hit an, another idea there too, that a lot of freshwater people don't think about it, is glitter lines, that whole concept of, wow, what that does for the, the, the atmospherics and the aesthetics of the tank. Um, that's something that when people start really playing with LEDs in freshwater are going to really appreciate more and more and, and be like, wow. What, What's what interesting about thinking? this A360 is I've been using it on this tank for almost three years mm -hmm. it's been that's about as long as it's been out it came and out I, yeah and i've used it with and without the medium reflector that's so it's natively 120 degree beam angle and then the the first reflector was 55 degree beam angle and you know i just played around went back and forth using it right. not using it and then when the narrow angle reflector came out i raised the light by a solid foot so it went from being like six inches or four inches above the tank to 18 inches above the tank and wow. it was like two weeks later, I'm like, man, why, how is this glass staying so clear? And <laughs> I realized, yeah, the, the reflector is shaping the light to hit most of the tank, but not, it's not falling as you know, directly on the glass, Ooh. therefore reducing my maintenance and keeping the tank tip. clearer and cleaner longer. That is a good tip. That's a good, now, that's the other thing, too. You In the Reef Builder Studio, you have, what, about 30 reef? 30? dedicated coral mm, tanks now or 20 ish okay <laughs> probably probably more than anybody that doesn't have a museum <laughs> is has, manages at one time now obviously in having that many aquariums set up you're what have you learned in running i mean i know you've had multiple tank systems for years but this is a big scale multiple tank system mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and everybody go go visit the refilters youtube channel and subscribe to it and you can see the tour that he did just a couple weeks ago you'll your mind will freak out um but the, what have you learned from managing that many, man, that diverse uh, a population of animals? Is there one thing that stood out in your head like, ooh, I never thought oh, about man, this? That's a whole podcast unto itself. Right, 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 um, right. But there's a few things, right? Uh, I knew that with this many tanks, I wanted to minimize the number of things I would have to plug in, mm -hmm. right? Just because I don't like a cluster, uh, you know, a snake's pit of wires wiring yeah well it's yeah. not i'm not a love it. freak per well, just se i just want it to not stress me out when i'm like right. which plug do i need to pull out to service this or that right you know so that's one of the big the big things um two uh you know with this many tanks you still have a couple hundred things plugged in and even some of the you know name brand stuff you're gonna have some failure right if you have yeah. 
let's just say a controllable pump. There's three things that can fail. You have the pump its motor itself. You have the controller controlling the pump and you have the power supply controlling the pump, right? <laughs> so one device might give you three or four different ways that it can fail. Um, you know, some of the best companies I've had incredibly great luck with. I haven't had to mess with, but some brands that you would know, I've had to like rebuild stuff, you know, and I'm like, how, hmm. why am I servicing so many pieces of equipment that were brand new from reputable companies? It's, it's like, why, what the hell, <laughs> Right. you know, right. and I'm not pushing these, I, you know, I always like to get oversized pumps and then drive them at 50%. And then same right. thing with the lights, run them 70, 60, 80%, but never full bore. Um, so that's one thing that there's a, definitely a lack of durability, even with the brand name products. And that's one of those things that when I see people so proud that they bought a, you know, a knockoff light or a knockoff Ugh. filter or a knockoff pump, it's yeah. like, you might, you might have this a very similar experience to the brand name on day one, on the first right. month, on the first year. But there's a lot of nuanced ways in which those products are going to decrease your enjoyment of your tank, either by <laughs> exactly. not working well, either or, or breaking down or having small leaks or just, yeah, you know, there is something to be said for. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Not just that, but like you don't all used equipment from a reputable brand is generally going to be a oh, lot yeah. better than new equipment from knockoffs. Yeah. So true. So true. Um, um, the other thing is, there's a lot of parts to, to your question. Is yeah, yeah. The more tanks you have, just like children, the less you can love each one. <laughs> you know, true. so I would say, That's you true. know, a few of the tanks went up really quick. So there's one tank we set up right away and then I set up like four at the same time because I'm building towards something. And some of these tanks, man, they took me like a year or two to start really loving them. But your flagship uh, fish tank, right? That's the, 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 the fish tank. Yeah, those are pets. You know, those are different. I, I love right. the fish on, on, on day one, but the, the longer they go on and kind of stay steady, um, the more I enjoy them. So I don't, I, I don't have even three tanks to just sit in front of, right? So when I'm right. watching my tanks, I'm walking slowly looking at this tank and then in this tank and then this tank. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that's the hardest to stomach too, and it's probably, you know, fish store owners can probably relate is when you have this many animals, let's say, you know, a thousand assorted fish and corals, they're not always all thriving. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like, even like, like a the, garden, even like the human population, you got to take a yeah. thousand people a uh, hundred of them are, are a little bit sick. 50 of them are kind of sick. 10 of them are on death's door. It's right. just the statistics of it. And, uh, you know, the more corals, the more fish, the more tanks you have, the less you enjoy each one. And the more likely you are going to have some of these, you know, needy patients, <laughs> these, right, right. Uh, these problem cases. Um, right. And sometimes you fixate on that. And so that's, that's one of the things I still have to wrap my head around. Yeah. Because a coral can grow for two or three years and just come down with something that you don't really, really understand or even worse, or, you know, it's kind of a this frustrating part is when you have coral aggression, you, you know, start corals out very far yeah. apart. Both corals get really big and then they start fighting on one side. Usually you'll have just some signs of aggression where they meet, but one, other times one coral can just take over the other one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and at least you, at least with that many aquariums, you have options to move <laughs> them to, yeah. which is good. Um, now, you know, you, you touched on something there, too. You said, you know, sometimes in any given day, one tank's thriving, one might be not doing as great, one's doing amazing, one's struggling, whatever. Um, 
it gets back to something that you brought up uh, again for those of you that follow and you have a lot of fans believe it or not on the tent that follow you on refilters um you've been talked about on reef therapy and you showed it on your reef uh your stories on instagram uh, honesty a certain degree of authenticity like every tank has problems they mm. have algae they have you know die off rtn you know whatever and we don't talk about that enough we don't share that enough for whatever reason we all want to show our best side maybe it's human nature i don't know but there's a certain degree of satisfaction that i think we all get when we realize that everybody's going through the same thing right mm-hmm. that's, you've been really vocal about that lately and i, I love that that's, that's well, a huge it's, thing it's natural it's human they're like when i you know i will clean up a tank before i know it's going to be and it's not dirty to start but i'll polish it up a little bit more and make it look like you know cover worthy um before it gets a nice deep feature and if you don't check yourself and just do that over and over and over and over, you know, someone who has an average reef tank or starting in the hobby or even a few years in, they're like, damn, how do you keep your tank so clean? You know, it always looks so freaking perfect. And I'm like, well, you know, it took me a few years to realize I'm always putting my best foot forward. Why wouldn't you? Right. Politicians don't go out of their way to show people how human they are. <laughs> right. And I feel like that is that's social media. To, to, to the nth degrees it's only showing the good side uh, you know maybe talking about certain issues but you know for example i've got a little sino probably in all my tanks but it might be like a, you know a one inch patch in one tank or a, a persistent small problem in another tank and so I'm, I'm, I'm really becoming a lot more cognizant of trying to um, make sure people realize that even when you're diving a natural reef that's just loaded with corals you're always going to find a little spot where the exactly. detritus is accumulating, where the cyano can grow, where there's little patches of algae um, that, that are happening. Exactly. The other, the other thing, too, um, that you, you've mentioned before is you've talked about um, the fact that, um, you know, not only do, do we all have these problems and we should all be talking about them, but they're not always problems. Um, you and I both have similar feelings about things like detritus and algae and so forth. Um, we view these as problems, but, and, and in the reef world, we viewed nitrate as a problem and you find yourself having to add nitrate, yeah, which is amazing. Can you, can you talk about that perception versus reality thing about what we perceive to be problems that really are not problems. They're actually benefits um, to our animals. Again, I think our entire Western system of culture and philosophy does not describe gradients well doesn't it doesn't describe spectrums well it doesn't describe nuance very well we want things to be in clear-cut boxes is it good is it bad (laughs) you know is it (laughs) cheap is it expensive right and so so yeah I, i just think that's that's missing when we're talking about aquariums yeah i think we're looking for cut and dry um interesting stuff and a lot of it so much of these things are philosophical as well as they are just topical well, um, so, I mean, I guess to get back to your, your, your the, the heart of your question as far as mm-hmm. nitrates is, you know, we're yeah. taught early on just to have this mindset to just attack nitrates, you know, attack algae, um, just always keep it knocked back. And right. that's that's the way. Right. But there's again, there's a lot of nuance as far as like, well, how much algae do you have? Do you really need to do anything about it at all? Right. And then and, and people are looking for quick fixes. You know, exactly. I, had, I had a nice uh, Valonia bloom in my newer uh, LPS tank. 
Mm-hmm. And oh man, whew, it went it went bonkers. And I thought <laughs> about all the things I could do, and I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna throw in a couple three emerald crabs and, and just let it ride, and we'll see what happens. Right? And yeah, it might have taken six months to knock it all back to just the point where it's in a couple spots, um, but I didn't stress out about it. You know, it, that goes yes. back to the enjoyment of the aquarium hobby. And so <laughs> it's funny. I, 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 we have talked about this with Mark. As far as like, oh, if I have some algae glowing on the glass, I must have some nitrates and phosphates. And I, man, I've always used that as, uh, that as an indicator. Right. And more recently, we've had much more accurate uh, test kits for nitrate. And I was able to discover that my nitrates were incredibly low. And I started by feeding the, the corals more. And that worked a little bit, but it wasn't just giving me some nitrate. And I started, then I fed the fish more and I was able to get my nitrates up to measurable um or or one and now i'm just i'm literally adding i'm looking at my night you know my weekly nitrate test right now and they're like <laughs> because there's such rain we we don't always use a super accurate nitrate test because they're a little bit more expensive right. um right. and so we have just kind of a colorimetric and we have our our lingo goes zero more than zero less than one one more than one because you don't really know and then if it gets a right. certain degree of peak we're like all right well maybe this is kind of two and then it's kind of and these are so low to begin maybe, with these maybe are it's such kind low of nitrate but yeah right. now I, i've been dosing nitrates for like literally dosing potassium nitrate for my planted tank that. that i mixed into a solution but i'm dosing <laughs> to the tanks and i've been trying to achieve a nitrate level of something just just measurable just don't let it bottom out um, or, you know, around one, but I think, uh, moving forward, um, especially once the Hanna nitrate checker comes out, the higher yeah. range one, and I get a bunch of those reagents, um, I want to kind of aim for five, like aim for five. Cause that's like, these, that incredible. Some of these coral systems, I mean, the whole thing that all these animals are just sucking up nitrates all the time and you just cannot, it's not practical to put enough food in there. Cause then you end up with a lot of waste and a lot of film on all your equipment. Right. And dosing nitrates, but right. doesn't nitrate. It's a very clean sure. way to add to yeah. just get to the finish line. And think, so, yeah, I'm going to be aiming for nitrate about five on see, most, most of my reef displays. I think that's amazing. Again, this is something that Jake has just explained to you that we have seen as a problem. You know, the world has labeled this as a problem. The aquarium world, the nitrates, there's sin. It's a bad sin to have nitrates. You need nitrates. And he's dosing nitrates because that's identified as a, a, a potential problem in his system, but there's not enough. I think that's incredible. Um, sort of perception again. Um, now, we've had, I, I don't know what you're like for time. I know we ran over the hour that I said I'd keep you here for. Do you have a few more minutes? We can yes, sir. Oh, I'm all good, man. Talking cool, reef is literally my job. Talking cool, Well, we could talk reef and freshwater here because I've got a few questions from people that have. Uh, emailed me ahead of this. I, I said, we're going to have Jake on soon. So get some questions ready. So you got a couple of answers. Uh, I hope you can give, um, I'll just pull them up here. Um, first one is from Bryce in North Dakota. Uh, Bryce, big fan of yours, Jake. Thanks for the work you do with reef builders. Question for you, uh, setting up a new aquarium. What would you recommend as the number of lights that I need for a four foot tank? a six foot tank and a two foot tank. And boy, that's a terribly broad question. I know. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> you need zero lights to get the tank started. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Yeah. That's a really broad. You don't question. need lights to cycle a tank. If anything, <laughs> if you, if you're going more of a classical, you know, cycling method, you shouldn't have your lights on, right? You want to let the bacteria grow. You want to let the fauna grow. 
Um, you know, so the first answer is zero. Like you can get those right. later. You know, right. you can watch the the stuff grow. Um, I mean, if it's if it's a first time tank, uh, there's a lot of good strip lights coming on the market, and that's one of those things. You can just add one strip light. All right, for example, say if you have a four foot tank, nobody says you have to light up the whole tank. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you get a, a small fifty watt light, you might start with one on on one end. And then add another, and then add another, and then add another, and just continue on like that. Um, but with strip lights, you can then get one to cover the whole tank with lower light. As your, your your lighting needs increase, you can add another strip light. And then once you get more light hungry corals, if you go down that route, you can add another strip light. Right. Uh, it's modular. Yeah. That's a good concept. I mean, because I think so many people are convinced you need to get this light to start with, and this light for this tank, this light for this tank. And not thinking about, well, how does the tank actually evolve over time? That's a really good point. I mean, in fact, you brought it up when you were talking about, you were talking with Mark when Mark toured the studio a couple weeks back. You were looking at the Ecotech Radeon lights over, I think it was over your coral system. Mm-hmm. And you said there's the XR30 and the XR15, which is obviously a little smaller. And you said, I don't really see a case where somebody needs the XR30 versus the XR15. In many cases, well, I don't know if that's the exact accurate, but two XR15s, right? You get two XR15s, you have more flexibility in spreading out that light because they're the exact same light, just you have 200 LEDs in the bigger fixture and 100 LEDs in the smaller fixture. Yeah, so there's there's a lot to be said for smaller and modularly. And if if anyone's looking for their first light and they're new to the freshwater or saltwater aquarium hobby. Man, buy a used light. I mean, yes. a, 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 a two, three, five-year-old brand name Radeon or Castle mm-hmm. or Aqua Illumination is yep. going to cost you as much or less than a brand new kind of off-brand, but it's going to have a lot more features, and that's going to inform what kind of lighting that you want. Yeah, good, good, good advice. Um, next question, this is from Jenna in... Lavonia, Lavonia, Michigan. And she says, uh, hey, Jake, big fan of your work. Question for you. I'm thinking of using a controllable DC pump for the first time in a large freshwater aquarium I'm setting up. My question is, how do you know what speed to run the pump at? <laughs> that's a good question, right? Fundamentally, that's a, she's like, how do you know what, what speed to run it at? Well, you know, there's definitely like this well-accepted number in most aquariums of having 10 times turnover. Mm-hmm. And I've never done it. I've never done it. When you, <laughs> when you have a hundred gallon tank, 10 to, or 125, you're talking about 1200 gallons per hour. That's a very expensive pump. That's yeah. a lot of noise. That's a lot of heat and a yep. lot of gurgling, you know, yeah. and that's uh, probably one of the biggest benefits to having a controllable DC return pump is tuning it in to the point where you have enough flow to the tank but not a ton of gurgling and noise you know, happening in your aquarium. So I've always kind of shot for uh, a four times turnover as a maximum because that's going to give you four, four X per hour. Cause that's going to give you a hundred times per day. And, you know, unless again, you have a very specific application, very dirty mm-hmm. fish or uh, aquaculture setup where you're growing fish, baby fish in high densities, you're not going to need that. But four times turnover is per hour is a hundred times per day. And I just, I cannot be convinced that 200 <laughs> times per day is going to be better than 100 times per day. Right? Look at these tanks <laughs> that have the tiniest clogged power filter that run for years. What makes you think you need to increase that by two orders of magnitude? Why do you need 10 or a hundred times more flow through 
um, than like a naturally filtered tank. Um, so yeah, I don't know, two, two times turnover, four X turnover. Don't even worry about the exact number. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's just the DC pump is going to help you dial in uh, how quiet to make it. I think those are going to change a lot of people's lives for the good too, because the quiet, they're so much quieter than the equipment that we had. So any ago. DC controllable pump, any modern one is going to have a, a sine wave signal that instead mm -hmm. of start, stop, it ramps up and ramps down 60 times per second. Um, that is just the pump then is, is really quiet. But if you get a bigger pump and you run it at 50% output, you're just, it's so much less wear and tear on the pump and it's going to be able to handle obstructions and it's just going to last a lot longer, right? Every, all the old pumps, you know, the, the Eheims and the mag drives, it was all on all the time. So those pumps were always running yeah. at their limits. Right. That's true. And, and That's so true. with a controllable DC pump, even, I mean, if you knock it back to 75 to 60 to 50%, you know, the designers engineered that, that pump to run for a long time at its threshold at its maximum. And usually they'll dial it down a little bit, but if you take it down even further, you're just going to get so much more life out of that device. Yeah. The, the, where the, the, uh, the longevity on those is pretty good, right. On, on, uh, controllable DC pumps, as far as we know right now, I mean, what's the oldest one you have? right now mm, i mean it's kind of hard to say because part of my job is, is reviewing uh right uh, a lot new, of equipment new products but again the name brand ones uh, they haven't had any problems good to know you heard it here um here's another one for you it's a freshwater question this is from herb in alberta canada and herb says hey jake know that you're into both fresh and salt water question for you is there a holy grail must have freshwater fish for you if so what is it and why Hmm. You know, the last few years with all this space, I've been able to obtain a lot of, you know, some of my holiest grails and things I never thought I'd get my hands on. And with few exceptions, I don't enjoy them any more than having common fish in the peak of health. Right. I don't want a, a, a diva oh, fish. One. Yep. That's going to give me issues that I'm not familiar with that has special requirements that's going to decrease my enjoyment uh, versus my ultimate angels that sit there and, and look beautiful, exquisite all day, every day, year after year after year. Um, but if there's a freshwater fish, hmm, I don't know, because I have zebra plecos. Right. I know that's your baby. <laughs> you, you, the story about you, you, he literally went to you, flew on a plane, picked it up. From a from a, a person that, that raised it oh, or read you're, it or whatever. You're thinking about and my is old that blue eye play? Is that the old blue? Okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a great story. Play. You literally hand carried that thing with you from Texas or something. Like that's dedication there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I can't think of any any freshwater fish that is you know super high on my list because there's a, a, a lot of them are available and I've, I've dabbled with them a lot. You know, the you've got all sons already. Yeah. yeah, and the zebra plecos they look awesome, but they hide all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, well, I know with like reef fish, you have some favorites that you, but would you have one that, I know you just got those, uh, those Ebly eye, but do you have anything that is really impressive that you really want? I mean, it's just the same answer. I, uh, you know, so I, I, I just got a, uh, earlier this summer, I got uh, two pairs of wild true percula clowns. They used to be super common. They were very yeah. cheap, but they give me as much enjoyment as just about yeah. any other fancy strain or more. Um, of domesticated clownfish. Yeah. All right. Good question. Uh, one more for you. This is a, uh, another reef question. This is from Evelyn in Kissimmee, Florida. And Evelyn says, Hey, Jake, deciding between live rock or 
dry rock for my next reef tank. Do you have any thoughts on either and why? Right. Boy, I know this is a big one too. You go crazy on this, but man, I haven't used classical live rock in years and years and years and years. Right. So mm-hmm. I've used man-made rock from real reef from carib sea. Carib sea's got some really nice coloring and some nice shapes. Yeah. Um, I've used lace rock. I have, I, I have lace rock, so lace rock. With, with coral that you would just never know it wasn't right. quote unquote live rock. I've used dry natural rock that used to be alive. Right. And so on a long enough timeline, everything becomes a pest, even corals. So I would start with the dry rock just because it's, you don't know, it's just a lot less pressure to, to, to manage everything that's going to come off of it. And yeah. within a short amount of time, it's going to be live. You know, it might be a little uglier at first without um, a nice coating of pink coralline or different kinds of encrustations, but you're just, just going to have a, an easier time aquascaping it. You don't, you don't have to worry about the top side or the bottom side like you would with classical live rock. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, unless you really want to see all the goodies or, you know, all the biodiversity come out of the rock, just go with dry rock. It's just so much easier and don't be afraid to mix and match, you know, some Marco dry rock versus some lace rock and some carob sea rock, you know, just have fun. Do do you, um, from, from a live rock perspective, I know you do a lot of different setups in there, but do you have a tendency to use just enough rock to give you room for corals? Is it about making it ple- aesthetically pleasing and functional or is it do you go for, function for, first for me the rock is just a, a, a coral a, pedestal a, a man of a, a structure under on, on which to put the corals yeah yeah i don't that, even think about so. fish hiding spots like they'll find they'll find a place they'll find it right <laughs> they'll find oh, it in true. the corals in the rocks they'll find yeah, it yeah, it's exactly. nice to make these these dramatic arches and stuff but you see people aquascaping their tanks for day one and yeah. not really considering where they're going to put corals or how that's going to look. And if you build things up too high, you can't get that top-down view of the coral, which is arguably uh, usually the best. That's a great point. And the other, the other point that's interesting, too, is you, you, you talked about people do it to aquascape from day one. Now, your advice to somebody – okay, your advice to me. I'm, I'm going to start my next reef tank soon. Your I aquascape sp- should look dumb. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Should look stupid and it, not make sense on day one <laughs> because the coral are going to do the work. Like the, I'm like, yeah. I have certain corals I love. I want to let them grow. I love Pasolipora. I'm unapologetically, it's my favorite coral. I want to see. Well, those you're going to have a very them. easy time of it then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all over the place. But I mean, I want to see certain things. Certain uh, Seriatopora. I love certain Acros. I love certain Leptoceras. You know, things like that that I want to see build escape. So I'm not going to use a ton of rock in the traditional sense, or like you said, put it up in a crazy way. Just a little rock here and let the coral do the structure. Is, is that a good approach these days? Your, your, your day one aquascape should look a little unimpressive. It should mm-hmm. look a little weird. It should look a little bare. It yep. should look a little empty. And <laughs> yeah. because, you know, muddy caps, bird's nest, um, styloforas, I mean, they're going to grow so fast that if you have your rock, you know, really impressive on day one, those corals are just going to grow to the surface. You're not going to yeah. be able to see the you know the best side of them and you're just going to have less room for coral but also there's a functional side of it if you have too much rock it's literally going to impede your flow it's going to catch a lot more detritus it's going to be a lot harder to manage again you might have a great time year one year two year three but depending on how you feed um, those nutrients will build up and they could cause you know a a time bomb down the road that you'll never get ahead of exactly exactly no i i think that's a that's a, that's well stated the the other thing too is just the um the sheer diversity in, in your tanks you're a coral collector so you unapologetically love coral um do you think now with with 
you know, so many reef tanks. Do you ever think you're going to do just like a specialty tank with just like one or two species, a monospecific coral tank? Would you ever try that? Or is that on the books? You know, you? plenty of tanks have kind of started that way. And you always find, you know, uh, a little room and a right. little thing right there. Right. Um, but those kind of mono style tanks, um, they don't have to be all nothing, right? Once again, you can start it out with a little bit more diversity. And then as your favorite coral grows, you can take out the supporting actors until right. your prized coral or two or three turn into stars. Yeah, true. What, you know, you have two tanks. And again, I tell everybody, I encourage you to go check out the Reef Builders channel. Look at the studio tour that Jake did. There's two tanks that really stand out to me. Your, your mangrove tank, because you know we both love mangroves. Mm. Uh, that is just such a really different way of applying mangroves. And that's a tank where you've kind of made the mangroves the star and the coral the supporting cast, right? I mean, uh, you know, or I would look, you say it's the other it, way around? I don't, I don't see it that way. It's the closest, well, it's the closest you look thing at the whole tank, ecosystem it, that I've it's, seen. It's the do. first yeah. thing people see because they're not used to seeing mangroves popping out of the tank. Right. And it looks cool and dramatic. I don't spend much time looking at the leaves. <laughs> You know, I spend my time looking at the cool stuff under the water. When you back up, yeah, it looks cool as a, as a general overall display. It looks awesome, but I don't spend, you know, you, when you look at a, at a tree leaf, okay, yeah, it's a tree leaf, and the next leaf next to it pretty much looks the same. One's a little newer, one's a little older. Um, but I spend all my time looking down below. But, yeah, it's kind of funny how many people remark on that tank just because when you first see the whole thing. It's it, the juxtaposition it, of yeah, plant yeah. and coral. And, now, and they're, they're, they're not just, you see, people doing mangroves just – they, they, they all get 15 mangroves Don't and they put them me. right next to each other Ugh, in, in yeah. some, you know, very yeah, nutrient-poor aragonite sand. And yeah, just like, horrible. You know, have you ever seen a mangrove tree? Like a single yeah. tree? That thing is huge. It's literally a tree, not a shrub. Exactly. People don't get it. And, and then the Australian reef tank that you did, and, and you did a nice series of videos on how to set that one up, which I encourage people to, walk, uh, to look at. Um, that's a case where you started out. I love what I love about that tank um, is you started out with an idea and you killed it in the middle. You go, Nope, that, I didn't like the way this didn't work out. So you pivoted the way you did your rock work mm -hmm. and the corals, the way you positioned the corals was very unorthodox, um, but orientations of them. And how's that working out? I mean, it looks to be a beautiful tank. Has that meet, met your expectations? Yeah. You know, that tank is, is, is very pretty. It's, it's like a candy shop. But yeah. LPS corals, they don't really grow colonially, right? They get a little bit bigger. They get a little bit fleshier. But even when you have, like, you know, an assortment of scolies and cinerinas and disc corals, they're just – they're not dynamic. They're more like right. pets. And so, yeah. it, you know, when I first set it up, I looked at it all the time. It was just such an eye catcher and just a very Instagrammable type aquarium. <laughs> right. right, But, you know, after a while of looking at it, you look at it and it's like, I've seen these corals. They look the same today as I did yesterday, you know, <laughs> versus my acros and stylos yeah. and flower pots. There's just a lot more action and stuff going on. Yeah. Um, final question. And I'll let you go. Is there a, a coral that you feel that people is, is, is undeservably not popular right now that that should be more popular, that people, more people should be playing with just because there's so many cool things about it. Do you have one particular? Mm, I would say, no, I wouldn't even say a species, but I would say blue corals. Yeah. There I have a go. lot of blue corals and right now it's been a great time to get blue corals because everybody has blue reef blue tanks light, right? and blue corals don't look, they look gray or just, they just, they don't, you can't even, they just look like the rock when you have blue exactly. corals under blue light. And I'll tell you what, man, my, all my tanks start out blue, nice long ramp up. And then the daylight, you know, 
comes in for a nice chunk of the middle of the day and then it goes back down to blue and in the middle of the day you know the blue corals that's what you you see that's what yeah, you point that's, to that's what everybody points to. oh my god look at that blue coral you're right because you're we right, don't see so. them as blue you're right and right. mostly that's going to be found in the sps corals but blue, there's blue clams and there's blue and purple and lavender mushrooms um and pink pink poslapora pink stylophora you mm-hmm. get you get those as happy as they can be and it's not hard they're going to be so pink yeah so bright that just I, you won't need special filters you won't need to no. blow out the tank you won't need orange glasses I, like, i'm a huge oh, daylight fan yeah that's why i thought when i saw that ecotech came out with the blue i'm like okay that's cool because people want that but boy i'm not getting one of those i don't need the extra blue yeah i don't think i'd ever use it <laughs> so that's that's i'm a daylight guy that's cool you know, um, I would say blue corals is definitely one that's not getting a, a, a fair shake, and it's fine because mm-hmm. I get I get I can snap up a lot more of the blue corals. <laughs> yeah, don't um, give that secret away. Well, doesn't matter. I'm not going to take people's opinions because everybody's <laughs> full, so into the fluorescent side of things that they have to have blue light, and yeah. that they just they're not going to enjoy it otherwise. Um, but then also like soft corals, yes. um, soft corals kept treated like second class. You know, reef aquarium citizens are going to look I like not that. Know. Yeah, but you treat yeah. them, you know, the right way with great flow, great light, great placement in the tank. Um, you know, the uninitiated will usually point to that before they point to the stony corals. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No, I agree, hundred percent. Man, Jake, I, I really have enjoyed having you on here, I and mean, we do need to have you on again. And I know Johnny's going to want to be on next time we have you. We'll have a bunch of bunch of more questions for you. I hope you'd agree to come back at some point. Um, be a lot of fun. Hey, and, dude, thanks for having me on. I know we've been oh, trying to do this for a really long time. Oh, so really long time. We're really glad we can make it it's happen. A real treat. And, and everybody, again, check out refilters.com. Check out the Refilters YouTube site, uh, uh, YouTube page. There, there's so much good information there. Um, thanks, everybody, for your support. And, Jake, again, thanks so much for coming out. And uh, look forward to seeing everybody else again on the next installment of The Tent. Have a good one, Jake. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Bye now. <laughs>